Welcome everybody to the A-Game Podcast. We are back once again. I'm your host, Dane O'Neill. Apologize for the wait, but man, does it feel good to be covering what I love once again. Coming to you live from Arizona, Labor Day weekend, Sunday night after the conclusion of Florida State LSU. So much to cover in the college football world. We saw what Colorado did yesterday. We're seeing how these divisions are playing out. The SEC, the Pac-12, the ACC. We also have the NFL season opening Thursday. Chiefs, Lions. What are some early predictions there? We have the MLB, the wild, wild card in the NL. Who ends up getting in? The AL West race. So much to get to there. The US Open, Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic on opposite ends of the bracket. Will they meet in the final? And the FIBA World Cup. Focus on America. Lost to Lithuania today. How do they bounce back? Welcome once again to the A-Game Podcast. Aiden O'Neill coming to you live. The highlight right now and what's on my mind is Florida State. Florida State just defeated LSU 45-24 to led by Jordan Travis's five touchdowns. Some may consider this an upset. Some may consider that Florida State wasn't supposed to win this game, but I believe they should have, and they did just that. Jordan Travis, he's a special talent. You'll see him in the NFL one day. And him connection with Keon Coleman all evening. His connection with Johnny Wilson, who's an absolute freak of nature at 6'7", running routes across the middle. He also had 100 yards. This was a very balanced game. Florida State looked like one of the best teams in the country tonight. And the reason I really want to talk about them is they're in an ACC division that is for the taking. We don't know what Clemson's going to be with Kate Klubnick, with Dabo Sweeney coming off an off year for his standards. We don't know what we're going to see from US, UNC. Yeah, they have Drake May, who is a top five supposed pick in the next NFL draft. But I'm talking balance. What team in the ACC is the most balanced? And Florida State looks the part. Jared Verse has an absolute freak of nature on the defensive end, 6'4", 260, had a phenomenal 22 season with nine sacks, 22 solo tackles. Although he didn't impact the game in a big way tonight, his presence was still felt, and you could see it with the run game. LSU couldn't run the ball at all. When their runs came, it was directly from Jaden Daniels. He led the team in rushing tonight with 64 rushing yards. He threw for 347 yards. The former Arizona State quarterback who transferred over two years ago is a very special talent. You see the physical attributes. Now, the decision-making and the play calling from an LSU standpoint, there were some question marks. What are they doing? I mean, when you go for go for it on fourth down so often you're going to get criticized, and especially when you don't get it. So there ought to be more trust in the kicker. But ultimately, that was one of the reasons they lost. And they just got slaughtered in the fourth quarter. 21 points from Florida State in the fourth. Trey Benson was doing it on the rushing attack. Jordan Travis is a great two-way guy, as I said. But this just felt balance. I'm going to keep emphasizing balance. And yes, they were in Orlando. It's a home away from home. There was a lack of purple in that crowd tonight. But Florida State is here to stay. And they're a really, really special program. You look at the coach, Mike Norville. This is the biggest win of his career. And I know it's early on, but 57-31 and 31 as a head coach. Yeah, he's been notable. He's getting paid a lot of money to run this organization. But this was huge. Huge win against LSU. We know what they bring when they had Coach O a few years ago. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. The list goes on. A special program and a really big win to start off the season. So that's how I wanted to start tonight. Yesterday, Saturday, big day in the college football world. We saw a team 
who was supposed to live up to the hype in Colorado. The Colorado Buffaloes, led by Deion Sanders, the famous cornerback, the famous wide receiver, one of the best players in NFL history, has showed that he could lead a team. He could take the reins as the head coach. They came into this game 20 and a half point dogs and they showed out. Shador Sanders, phenomenal quarterback. He showed all the intangibles of possibly being a Heisman front runner. And I know that might seem ridiculous to say. A few weeks ago, if somebody said that, they would be looked at as a clown. And because he played at Jackson State, he didn't have a lot of numbers on his resume. Not a big pedigree. But Shadur Sanders is a phenomenal dual threat quarterback. And some of the throws he made yesterday, whether it was to Travis Hunter, to Edwards in the flats, escaping sacks, ridiculous. Very, very talented quarterback. And you want to talk about Travis Hunter. He's the highlight of the show. On both sides of the ball, it's almost like a Shohei Otani in football. And he's so, so special, jumping the passing lane, almost like he's a basketball player going for a steal on passes. Whether it's him receiving, coming down with crazy catches. There was one that didn't even count earlier in the game. Ended up catching some big ones down the stretch. And TCU, these are the reigning national champion runner-ups. They got there last year. Yeah, they got embarrassed by Georgia. But this was a really special group. And yeah, they lost a lot of guys. But going in to Texas and getting that win was something that nobody expected. Vegas sure didn't. So that is the highlight of this show. This Colorado team, I looked at it on paper before the season and I said, this offensive line is really, really good. A lot of personnel. But looking around, is Dion legit? Is all this hype warranted? And he made me a believer. He made every single analyst, every single college football enjoyer a believer this past weekend. And that is a crazy thing to do in such a short amount of time. Speaking of Colorado, they're in one of the most competitive divisions in the whole entire country. And unfortunately, the last year that this division is going to exist, the Pac-12. Man, the Pac-12. You look at it top to bottom, whether it's Oregon State, USC, Colorado, UCLA, even though they're coming off a down year, they're still going to be pretty solid. U of A is pretty solid. Washington has Michael Penix Jr. They're phenomenal. Oregon's phenomenal. Arizona State's struggling, but they're young. So many different options. Who's going to come away with the win? Now, I'm going to revert back to the team Thursday night. Arizona State, the school I go to, took on Southern Utah with their new rookie, Jaden Rashada. ton of expectations coming in. He's from Pittsburgh, California. Been following him for a bit. And he had a rough night. Yeah, the numbers won't show it. No interceptions. But there were some missed throws in the checkdowns. There were some missed throws down the field. And Jaden Rashada, in general, didn't seem as comfortable as I thought he would be. The first game in the Kenny Dillingham era, highlighted by a long weather delay that probably rattled him, in all honesty, was the story. Jaden Rashada is the story. And I see why people are so enthralled by him as a prospect. But the issue I have is the teams that ASU is going to be playing are going to be so tough that he's going to have to be perfect. Now, he didn't have his number one receiver, Elijah Badger, all afternoon. But he needed to be better as far as open throws are concerned. Because as a, from a quarterback perspective, you need to make open throws. And everything on top of that is just luxury. So, Jaden Rashada, first career start. They get the win, but they barely beat Southern Utah after being 31.5-point favorites 
wasn't a big game, but Scadaboo in the backfield, he's really good. Elijah Badger when he's there. So ASU next weekend, they take on Oklahoma State in a big game against the Cowboys. Chance to go 2-0. It's going to be close. It's going to be neck and neck. And I can't wait to see what happens there. Utah as well. When I was listing the Pac-12 teams, I forgot to mention them. They had a huge win without Cam Rising against Florida at home. Backup QB dropping dimes deep down the field, 80-yard touchdown. He was just phenomenal. The Pac-12 is so good. It's so balanced. Oklahoma, Oregon State, I should say. DJ Ugalele, I was talking about him. Uangale, however you say it. He's so unique as a quarterback. And what I mean by that is hitting open receivers. He has the intangibles as far as size go. You don't see a guy that big. He's almost a linebacker of sorts. He is super unique. And Oregon State, they're the 18th seed in the country, and I don't even believe they have enough hype. They just beat San Jose State. They beat the bricks off of them. Their schedule is not that hard. They could compete for a Pac-12 championship. I think they could be one of the most underrated teams in the country in that department. And then you look around, you see who's the best team in the Pac-12. It is clearly USC with the Heisman frontrunner, Caleb Williams. This team is so good. They have the number one tight end prospect in the country. The offense is good. Yeah, the defense isn't good, but no one in the Pac-12 plays defense. And Caleb Williams can single-handedly win you games. We saw him do that last year. He's going to be the number one pick in the 2024 NFL draft. Special player. And I know I emphasize special with some of these guys, but Caleb is out of this world. He's different than special. He's one of the best prospects I've ever seen. So when Caleb gets to the next level, he's going to be a Patrick Mahomes-esque. And they're going to draft him as such. So you have SC, you have Utah, you have Washington with Michael Penix Jr., the lefty phenom. So, so good. This division is absolutely amazing. And the issue with it is that it will be separated after this season. Don't let me get started on the college football you know, realm and, and what I think about the, the commission but it just isn't logical to have UCLA go play in the Midwest on a Thursday night. That's not logical. The players are going to be jet lagged. Regions don't exist anymore. And you know what it's for? It's for TV time. But if you promote the Pac-12 more and you give them more primetime games, you let them play on ABC, this wouldn't be an issue. And we would still be in regions and we would still be just fine. But the fact that money because that's what it is at the end of the day. These are organizations who are trying to make a ton of money. The fact that that is the number one priority is why the ACC switch is happening. Is why new teams are coming into the Big 12. That is the sole purpose. So the Pac-12 is amazing this year. You should watch every single Pac-12 game because they'll all be good. But the moral of it is college football is headed in the right direction as far as big matchups are concerned but in the wrong direction from a player safety perspective and you know fans just wanting to watch their team it really is that simple and it frustrates me but that's all i have on college football so much more coming as i said duke clemson tomorrow night is going to be an absolute juggernaut of a match there were so many great games over the weekend i've had a pleasure getting into it and there's just a ton to cover so i'm going to be doing a full college football show breaking it all down but that's all I have on the podcast for that. Moving on to the NFL, Thursday night, we open. I'm having all my fantasy drafts. It has just been great. I want to give you guys some early predictions. We have Chiefs, Lions, in Arrowhead. Such a tough place to play. Andy Reid, Kelsey, the whole shebang for the Chiefs. And then for the Lions, you got Goff. 
You've got the new rookie, Jameer Gibbs, Dan Campbell, obviously at the helm. Both teams, a lot of expectations. In my eyes, both teams division winners. Chiefs open up as six and a half point favorites. I think they get it done on Thursday night pretty easily. When you look at a team that is built to be a dynasty, and there's not a lot of dynasties in sports, that's why they're called that, and that's why they're so unique. The Kansas City Chiefs are one of those. Patrick Mahomes, such a special player, in my eyes, could be the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest player of all time if he keeps it up. Kelsey, the best tight end in the league. An offensive scheme that is out of this world with Andy Reid. Fans that love their team so truly. This team is poised to go back to the Super Bowl once again and go back the next year and the next year. As long as Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey are playing at a big level, big time level, an offensive line is essentially irrelevant. You don't really need one. Yeah, you need one to keep Mahomes healthy, but he's so damn good that it really doesn't matter. So be ready for Thursday night. It is going to be special, you know, coming off the Super Bowl win, tons of expectations. It's only right that they play on Thursday night. Other teams that I'm really intrigued about. Obviously, I talked about the Detroit Lions. I think they're going to end up winning the NFC North, a weaker NFC North now with the departure of Aaron Rodgers. The Packers getting significantly worse. Yes, the Bears are getting better, but the Vikings, they also got significantly worse. A lot of departures on the defensive end. I'm not a big fan of their O-line like some people are. I think their defense is pretty bad. The Lions are the most balanced team in this division, and that's why I think they'll win. I'm a big Jared Goff guy. I think he's a really good quarterback. They have a ton of good options. Detroit is bound to win a division title. I think they get it done. But the team I want to focus on in the NFL is the Atlanta Falcons. The most intriguing team for me in the league, my NFC Southern, NFC South, I should say, division winner. Bijan Robinson coming in out of Texas. He's going to be special. Desmond Ritter is going to get the start, or you hand it over to Taylor Heineke. Drake London. Kyle Pitts. Matt Collins, who I'm super high on, the former Raider. So many weapons. You also have Jonu Smith as a tight end. The offensive line is fairly formidable. You add Calais Campbell on the defensive end, along with A.J. Terrell already. Trey Flowers is now there. Jesse Bates is now there. So many exciting players. Young Waiku, the iconic kicker. And you look at the schedule, and you look at a lot of potential wins. You open up at home against Carolina. I think you get that. At home against Green Bay, I think you get that. On the road against Detroit, maybe you drop that. But then you got Houston. You have Washington, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, Arizona. Tampa Bay again. So many wins in their future. This is the NFC South division winner. And I don't think enough people are acknowledging that. A lot of people picking the Saints. Picking the Carolina Panthers even with the young Bryce Young. The Falcons to me feel like the obvious pick. They have everything you need in a team. The depth chart looks good. Ritter's going to be the starter. Super, super intriguing. And I'm really excited to see what they could possibly do. Last team I want to focus on. I'm going to be doing a full NFL show in a couple days that will break down all of these. But the last team I really want to focus on is the Cleveland Browns. In my eyes, the Cleveland Browns are a Super Bowl contender. You might say, Aiden, that is just ridiculous. But look at the roster. I believe in Deshaun Watson. I know what he did off the field is absolutely awful. He's a terrible person. He shouldn't be in the league. But I believe in him as a player because he was bound for a bounce back here. And guess what? If he sucks, you have DTR, the former UCLA quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who is formidable as well. Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, Donovan Peoples-Jones. That is a phenomenal receiving core. David Njoku's great. The offensive line is always good. And 
You look at the defense as well. It is loaded. Miles Garrett, one of the best players in the league, especially in his position. I love Greg Newsom Jr. Anthony Walker going to bounce back. The addition of Zadarius Smith and a great head coach in Kevin Stefanski. Believe in the Cleveland Browns. They're bound to win. I think they win this division. Now, the AFC North is going to be the most competitive division in football. The Cincinnati Bengals are always good. The Ravens are always good. The Steelers never finish below 500. This is going to be the best division in football, and I can't wait to be along for the ride. But the Cleveland Browns, out of all teams, need to be the one that you focus on because they are truly, truly special. I'm saying it here first. September 4th, 2023, the Cleveland Browns are legit and believe it. That's all I got for the NFL right now. We will be back to it shortly. The MLB, the wild, wild, wild card. We have five teams right now competing for one spot. It's the D-backs. It's the Reds. It's the Giants. It's the Marlins. The Cubbies are right there. Who's going to get in? That is the question everybody's asking. Let's go team by team. Cincinnati Reds. Love what they did with the whole waiver wire fiasco. Art Moreno just dumping all the contracts after buying at the deadline. And I remember... When I came on this podcast, I clearly remember and I said, the Angels buying is going to be one of the worst decisions they possibly could have made. They're going to regret it mightily and it's going to age so, so bad. And it it did in every single way. Lucas Giolito was terrible. Hunter Renfro was good, but now he's gone. You blew the whole thing up. Ronaldo Lopez, you blew it all up. And now, yeah, you've dumped the salary, but now you're going to be mediocre for 20 years because you had the opportunity to get prospects and build an actual team. Two guys doesn't get it done. There's way too many injuries across the board. They needed to trade Shohei, and they did it. But speaking of the Cincinnati Reds, they add Hunter Renfro. They add Harrison Bader, who left the implosion of the Yankees organization that we're witnessing this year. And they have Ellie De La Cruz, who's one of the most phenomenal baseball talents we've seen with our own two eyes from a physical standpoint. But the pitching really does concern me. I don't know what I'm going to get out of Andrew Abbott. Hunter Green is very inconsistent. And the bullpen consists of a bunch of no-names that are inconsistent as well. Tons of question marks with this Reds team. I ultimately don't think they get in. I think the schedule looks just a little too hard. You need everything to go right. I've seen them lose to bad teams. I think they ultimately don't get in. Arizona Diamondbacks, I love this team. I really do. I think they end up getting in the playoffs. You look at it from a... An outsider perspective, when you have a Corbin Carroll, and obviously he's had a a poor second half compared to his MVP caliber first half. But when you look at a guy that's that good, he's going to win you a bunch of games single-handedly. That's why he's the MVP. You have Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, Evan Longoria getting some DH appearances. Love adding Lourdes Gurriel in the offseason. Yeah, the bullpen shaky with Miguel Castro, other guys back there. But Zach Gallon, Merrill Kelly. The rotation's really good. Paul Seawald even back back there is good. Do they make the playoffs? I want to go out on a limb and say yes. And I'm going to say yes. But I, I just think this race is going to be so close. Any of these teams can make it. And any of these teams can go on a run because they have what it takes. The San Francisco Giants. I don't know what I'm going to get out of them from a, a week-to-week basis. It's either a great team who's really good against good teams, which you need to be come playoff time. Or it's a bad team who loses to teams that aren't very good. It's one or the other. And that's the issue I encounter. So I can't pick them. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Because I think they're way too inconsistent. You look at their schedule over the next week. Tomorrow they go to Chicago. 
They play a three-game set. Then they have Rockies, Guardians, Rockies, which is a great stretch. But then you end with LA, San Diego, and LA. That's tough. And ultimately, I don't think they make it. The Miami Marlins, great pitching staff. But the bullpen has question marks. And what are you going to get out of a Luis Arise who has fallen off from a 400 batting average to 355 in the second half? What are you going to get out of a Brian De La Cruz who has been fairly inconsistent? The whole lineup needs to be clicking. Jake Berger and Josh Bell, the two deadline additions, have been their best hitters. So ultimately, it's just a matter of time for them to fall off as well. If I were to pick you three teams that get in, I think it's going to be the Phillies who are already a lock. Love what they could do in the playoffs as well. I'll break that down more in a bit. The Cubs, because they already have it locked up, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Those would be my three teams to make the playoffs, and I'm going to stand by that. But there's question marks. With all these teams, that's why they're in the wild card. You look at Atlanta Braves and the Dodgers. They just squared off this past weekend. It was phenomenal. Uh, Braves took three out of four. They're the best team in baseball. It's not even close. And they look like they're going to go to the World Series and win it again. The AL, the Astros, they've been struggling a little bit. You have Seattle, who's on a heater. What are you going to see in the AL West? Who ends up winning that division? So many thoughts around the league. If I were to sit here and give you a World Series prediction today, I would give you a Braves-Astros. As I've said all year long, I'm not going to switch up on that, especially with the addition of Verlander at the deadline for the Strohs. Both teams special. A lot of teams in this league contending. So much more to come on that note. Moving on to the U.S. Open. Just wanted to touch on this a little bit. The majors in tennis are so entertaining to watch, and especially when you have players like Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo. And yeah, I'm biased because I'm American with Tiafo and Fritz, but these guys are must-see TV. And then you look at Carlos Alcaraz, and I guess I watch Rafa in his prime. I watch Roger Federer in his prime, Joker. But something about this kid... Something about his spark makes me want to turn on my television every time he plays. He's so special for the game. He's generational. He's the quickest lateral tennis player I've seen in my life, getting to balls, hitting drop shots. Would love to see Alcaraz and Novak face off in another final. But also, this brings up the point, Novak Djokovic is one of the most successful athletes from a long-term perspective. His longevity is unmatched. You might compare it to a LeBron James being consistent. He was in his prime when Federer and Rafa were in his prime, and he still is dominating to this day. It's ridiculous what he's been able to do. And if you haven't been watching the US Open, tune in soon. Quarterfinals coming tomorrow. Finally, the FIBA World Cup saw America today. They dropped one to Lithuania. And many Americans raised red flags that this team might not be able to win the FIBA World Cup. Now, First of all, this is America's C team. If we wanted to go in and, you know, if America wanted to go in and blow teams out, they could. They could bring Kevin Durant. They could bring LeBron James. They could bring in every single dude under the sun. There's so many great American basketball players and beat every team by 40. But now their team consists of Anthony Edwards, who is a future star. He would be on that team anyway. Austin Reeves, who's there's question marks around him. Jaron Jackson Jr. Tyrese Halliburton's great. The team's really good. Don't get me wrong, but it could be sheer dominant, and nobody would touch them. So when Americans sit there and complain, that's just, you know, irrational. That doesn't make sense because not all of the best American players are playing. But ultimately, this team is probably going to go on and win the FIBA World Cup anyway after dropping one to Lithuania today with Jonas Valanciunas, some other guys that used to be in the league playing Europe now. 
But yeah, it's been super entertaining. Loves watching Canada play with Shea, Dylan Brooks, RJ Barrett. Really nice three over there. Italy, always super good at passing. Really good mid-range shooting team. So ton of different countries I've been focusing on, and it's just been a pleasure to watch. But that's what I have for the FIBA World Cup. Concluding this podcast, I just want to thank you all 24 minutes today. It has been a pleasure talking to you. A-game podcast, new schedule coming out this week. I'm going to be posting on my page. I'm in the process of developing a website. We're now at Arizona State. As I said before, it's just going to be amazing, the opportunity, and I can't wait to bring it all to you shortly. But thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the A-game. Appreciate you all. Hope you have a great rest of your night. Peace.